In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a theological principle that grace builds on nature. In other words, God doesn't act in such a way that he makes us into something that we're not. If we're living a life of virtue, or if we're trying to live a life of virtue, then the actions of God's grace enables us, and it pushes us on. It builds on the stuff of who we really are and perfects it. And if we're not living a life of virtue, grace doesn't make us worse, but it can heal us, perhaps by giving us a sense of guilt or by placing obstacles in front of us. But what grace does not do is take someone who is not living a Christian life and suddenly change them into a different person without any effort in their part. Now, the Pharisees are posing a question to Jesus today in the gospel. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And for our discussion today, we're going to set aside the fact that they're asking this question to the Lord because they want to entrap him. Instead, let's just look at his answer. Now, the word law here, we can understand as likely being the Jewish word for law, which is Torah. The Torah, of course, being shorthand for the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, if you were to comb through those five books and count up all the different laws and all the commandments from God, you would find 613 commandments. So Jesus is being asked in some way to give a commandment that encapsulates all 613 in the law. So what does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In a very Jewish fashion, in a very rabbinical fashion, he then immediately follows it up by telling us how to do it. The second is like it, he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus tells us that the most important thing that any of us could ever do with our entire lives is love. And love in its proper order. First with God at the center, and then flowing from that love of God to love everyone around us. Now, it is intentional that Jesus lays it out like this, because for many of us, and I would say for most of us, learning to really love God is hard, right? Because when we first think of God, we think of this nebulous thing in the sky, right? Or we think of a person we see in a picture, and it's hard to love that. But Christ is essentially telling us here that in our training to love God, we will come to love him if we love one another. The problem for us as modern Christians is we're living in what I would say is a crisis of love. There's some amazing statistics out there that you could look up that demonstrate that even with the interconnectedness that we have now with social media today, women and children especially feel more lonely and more depressed than ever. Right? 30% of women today identify as being depressed. And psychologists are telling us that this depression is stemming from an experience of childhood which most closely is being linked today to a crisis of fatherhood. And this isn't in any way to uh, denigrate the role of mothers, but more and more studies are showing us today that the absence of fatherhood in families today is increasingly, increasingly leading to heightened rates of loneliness, depression, anxiety, and suicide among youth. 50% of today's young people live with the absence of a father, 
either that being a physical absence or moral absence, where the father is in the house, but mentally he's at work, he's with a hobby, whatever it is. And so because of this, and because of the way this perpetuates the brokenness of the family today, young people are not being raised with an authentic example and experience of love. And if we don't have that experience of love demonstrated to us in a concrete way, then it's difficult to imagine how we can love God, who we also cannot experience in a concrete way. And the exponential growth of social media today demonstrates the incredible hunger that young people are having today for love and for acceptance, for affirmation, right? They're starving for it. After all, what are they seeking in social media? Likes followers, friends, a score that in some way can tangibly make them feel as if they're appreciated and belong, right? You think of Snapchat, for instance, right? It's an app that a lot of young people are using today, right? Users of Snapchat have a score that is based on how many messages or images they send and receive. So it's not uncommon today for the average young person in high school or college to grow that score every day by hundreds, 400, 500, 600, right? I mean, there are sixth graders today that are getting 500 messages from their friends in one day, right? And by the time they had the app for two or three years, right, they usually have scores in the hundreds of thousands, millions, right? I would guarantee you, I could bet right now, the majority of students at Cathedral have Snapchat scores of over 100,000. Lay it out, right? And it's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? I mean, they're, they're talking, but it shows you, like, what are they looking for? right? They're desiring something there, right? The human heart was made for love. It was made to experience a community, which is why none of us, even if we were literally raised in a single parent family, none of us comes from a single parent. And we all come out of a community and, and we're meant to grow and to flourish in a community of love. And obviously that's not the experience that most people have today, right? There's a lot of brokenness in marriage and in the family today. But we can look at this situation and look at what is lacking and what is suffering because of it. So fathers, one of the most important things you can do for your children is to love your wife, their mother. Children need to see this example of love in front of them in a tangible and concrete way. They need to see that love means giving someone else priority, that you are not the center of the universe. And then after that, fathers, and I can say mothers too, but this is especially hard for men, fathers need to spend time with their children. No daughter will stand at her dad's casket and say that she wishes he would have given her more stuff. What you usually hear is that she wishes she had more time with him. And giving our time to our family, that's so important. Time is a commodity that we cannot create. Its value is infinite compared to the world of stuff. Giving our time to our family, to our children, it teaches them selflessness, but it also demonstrates to them that they're loved, that they're important. And if children can see that, especially if they can see they're loved by their father, then it becomes easier to understand that they are loved by the Father, who is God. And children need to hear that they're good. And we live in a culture today that is so inundated with messages of pride and forces children to compare themselves with unrealistic ideals, meaning that so many children today don't see themselves in a good light. 
And we see how they desire that, right? The little child who draws a picture of a house and gives it to their dad, they want to hear that the dad likes the picture. But it's even more meaningful when he can point out the details in the picture to his child. Oh, look, you put the windows here, you have the tree in the front yard. That means so much to kids. That sort of communication shows children that they are not only good and appreciated, but that they're noticed, and that what they do is noticed, and it's loved. I remember last year, uh, Cathedral had finished a baseball game, and we had two or three home runs that game. It was a good game for us. And a, a boy told me afterwards that he loved how I ran out of the dugout every time they hit bombs. That's how he said it. And I remember thinking about that for days. That one line, it it just stuck in my head. I even had to go to Father Charles and ask him at the monastery why it was stuck in my head so much, why it meant so much to me. And he made the comment that the reason that statement meant so much to me was that it was an acknowledgement that they, the boys on the team, noticed I was watching and that the same was true for me, that they saw what I was doing. Which means on the inverse side, children who make mistakes need to hear that they can be better. If a child is learning baseball and and they keep swinging at the ball and missing and their coach just tells them that they're a bad hitter, right, then that's their identity. They're going to quit. They've compared themselves to their peers now. They're beneath them. But if the coach came over and said, you know, you see the ball coming and I, and I, I see you're trying here but you could hit it better if you did this. That's a totally different approach, especially coming from a figure of respect. So later on, when the child makes a mistake, a bigger mistake, in school or in college or as a young adult, the loving response is something that's more like, I'm struggling to see you make these sort of decisions because you could be so much better than this, and I believe in you. And after all, that is the experience of God's mercy that we see in Scripture. The woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus, and he doesn't say, Go away, you sinner. You're out of luck. You're not going to get any help from me. We're done. No. He acknowledges her mistake, but then he gives her a new leg up, and he sends her out, encouraging her to do better this time. Go and sin no more. So if we can model our love for other people after this model of love that we see in Christ, then other people will be able to recognize it and in so doing eventually through grace, building on that nature of love within us, come to love God. So yes, God is at the center of it all. The first commandment is to love God, but we do that and we learn to do that better by loving everyone around us in an intentional way, in a personal way. That isn't to mean that we shouldn't give to charity or something like that, but love requires a personal encounter. You have to know the person you're loving to love them. So if you want to love God, you have to start by practicing how you love one another. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.